Welcome to a very special edition of SBC This Week. Amy Whitfield had a chance to sit down with William and Heidi Hahn last month. Uh, they are missionaries with the International Mission Board in Africa. And uh, in West Africa, Heidi is a surgeon. William works with their communications. They also you know, share the gospel uh, with those that they can in Africa and I uh, have seen some great fruit and some great uh, stories come out of their time in Africa. Uh, so a great interview here with uh, some information. And don't forget, we'll be talking about it this week on the podcast. The second highest ever Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, was given this past year at $158.9 million. Uh, this is a great way for us to kind of kick off the new Lottie Moon season with this interview by Amy with William and Heidi Hahn. All right, today we are having a conversation with William and Heidi Hahn. Uh, they are IMB missionaries serving in Ghana, going into their fifth year of service with the International Mission Board. So we're very excited that uh, they could come and just share a little bit for our listeners. Uh, we get to talk to uh, folks who maybe work uh, stateside for the IMB, or we talk about things that are going on, but we rarely get an opportunity to talk with a missionary. So thank you all for, for uh, being here. Our pleasure. Yeah. Okay. So tell us just a little bit about uh, what you do there in Ghana. How did you end up there? Uh, kind of... Uh, what each of your responsibilities are. We're in, in Ghana. Ghana is a country about the size of like Alabama, to give you an idea of the size, and we're way up in the northeast corner of the country. And so we live and serve in a very rural area, and we uh, are actually at a hospital in uh, the northeast corner, and this hospital is called the Baptist Medical Center, and it was built by the IMB in 1958. This year, actually, uh, in a month or two, we're going to have a big 60th anniversary celebration. And so we're serving in a place that has a very long uh, history or legacy um, with the IMB and IMB work. Um, we're at the hospital because of my wife Heidi's work, so I'll let her explain what she does. I am a general surgeon who um, I'm working at the hospital now as the only... Um, trained uh, general surgeon. I actually came here in 2007 as a medical student and um, just fell in love with the hospital and with the town. And at that time, I, I realized that this is the place that God had called us to. And so I, I said, well, give me six more years to finish up my training and we'll be back. And that's, that's what we did. And then I myself, I am not medical at all. I'm not nearly as smart as my wife. And so um, <laughs> I, uh, I have a background I have a background in media. And uh, I also have a background in West Africa because, because my parents were IMB missionaries um, for over 20 years in West Africa. So I grew up in Africa and went back to the States and uh, got training in media. And then when Heidi and I got married, we realized that she wanted to do medical missions um, I saw that I kind of loved West Africa, knew the culture and everything there, and uh, this ended up being a perfect match um, for us. We got the position here at the hospital. So I work in media for the IMB, and so I travel around uh, mostly sub-Saharan Africa, um, but other parts of the world, and do photography and video uh, for the International Mission Board. That's excellent. Um, so... Heidi, you, I mean, obviously your day-to-day -day ministry activities are just are working at the hospital there. Uh, 
William, as when you talk about working in media, what's maybe a typical day? Well, my I don't have typical days in the way that uh, Heidi does. Uh, my my typical day is um, I actually I homeschool. We have two children. I should have mentioned them at the beginning. We have two children. We have a twelve year old and a three year old. Uh, and so, wow. Yeah, the the gap there is uh, medical school and residency <laughs> for my wife. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I homeschool our son. So like when I'm in town, a typical day is I do homeschool with my son in the mornings, and then in the afternoons, um, I do media work on the computer, whether it's editing photos, videos, web stuff for the IMB. And then I actually can, I, I do language learning lessons. Um, that's something we've um, continued to do, even though we're in our fifth year. I keep doing that um, because I preach in the villages in our area, and uh, that has really okay. I found it really helps me a lot to have a a tutor that I meet with almost daily um, to keep learning the language, get deeper in the language and culture, and and it helps me be much more effective in communicating when I'm uh, preaching and, and sharing the gospel. Okay, excellent. Uh, well, tell tell us a little bit about sort of your ministry context. Who are the the people that you're really serving, um, both in sort of day to day serving in medical missions, and then also as you're going around and preaching as well. Maybe both of you could talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So I'll let Heidi talk specifically about in the hospital because she has a really unique opportunity there. Um, the our villages, we have about 40 churches in our area that were planted because of the ministry of this hospital that, like I said, IMB Missionary started uh, 60 years ago. And so um, I kind of do a, a little circuit. I've got, we have several villages. They've got, you know, bivocational pastors. They're small churches. Um, and so that's kind of been when I'm not traveling and doing media work for the IMB, um, my kind of local ministry has been um, going to these churches um, supporting the pastors by helping them with uh, preaching and and things like that in the church, and so that's been a um, a really fun thing for me to be able to connect to the the people locally in that way. Um, I'll let Heidi talk about at the hospital because uh, her job's really great there. Okay, let's hear. For my patients as a as a surgeon, um, some of my patients I get to know very well because they have to stay in the hospital for quite a while. Um, but I, I take the opportunities that I have as I um, build rapport with the patients to um, share the word, share the gospel with them, even to pray with them, especially patients that I have to have emergency surgery. I will get them set up for the surgery, you know, explain we need to go to the operating room, and I try to take the time to sit with them and say, well, let's pray and ask God to, to help you through this, to bring healing, and to to show himself to them so that they understand how much he loves them and cares for them. And, you know, there's there's different levels of, of time that I have to share with them as far as the gospel or just a Bible verse or, um, or a Bible story. Um, some are very receptive. Pretty much all my patients will let me pray with them some want to hear more, some politely decline, but um, you know, through that I've had I've had some patients that say, Yes, I want to, to follow Jesus. And with that I, I have the chaplains that are here at the hospital, some of the local pastors that are, are employed as chaplains, 
they will come back through and ex- you know explain again, make sure that they understand what it means to follow Christ, and um, try to get them plugged in with the local church. Our chaplains. Wow, that's a that's incredible. Sorry, our chaplains are great about they know all the villages in the area, and when Heidi brings them a patient that's made a decision or is interested um, in learning more about um, Christ, then they're good about making that connection to one of the local churches. Um, It's always exciting. We've had a couple times where, like, one of her patients who's come to Christ, we've been able to go with them to their village and introduce them to the church in their village, which they've never attended, and then kind of turn them over to that local body of Christ and say, okay, guys, this is your, you know, your new brother and your new sister in Christ. Um, it's up to you to now disciple them and make them a part of the, the, your community. What would you say, what would, what would you say are the greatest, uh, barriers to your work? Like what, what are kind of the hardest, hardest things that you find? So the people we serve, uh, we work mostly the, the ethnic group or people group in this area, um, are called the Memprusi and the Memprusi, are actually the oldest kingdom um, in Ghana. Um, And so they have this long, long tradition going back 600 years of uh, having this whole chieftaincy structure. In fact, the town we live in, the king of this tribe is in the town, and he has his palace. And so we're kind of at the center of culture for our people here. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really, it's it's cool. It's, I mean, we we love the culture. Their culture is so rich. And, uh, and we've been able to get, kind of become friends with the king's court and people and the royal family. And like the king named our daughter and just really neat, neat stuff. And it's just, it's, I love, that's something I really enjoy. Uh, I inherited, my dad was a history buff and, uh, I kind of inherited some of that from him. And I've just really enjoyed getting to know the culture. Um, and so that's, that's, uh, in this tradition of chieftaincy. Um, they have, uh, it's kind of a mixture of animism and ancestor worship as far as their African traditional okay. religion. They revere, um, the, the elders, particularly the elder men, elderly men in the family, um, that have passed away. They make sacrifices to them when people are going to make a decision, an important decision, or if they have problems in their family, they will, um, have a shrine in their house to their ancestors and sacrifice to them. And their whole traditional government with these chiefs is based on ancestor worship because they believe the king derives all his power from past kings. And so, like, the king doesn't sit on a throne the way in Western tradition, you know, a king sits on a throne. Their king sits on skins. And uh, so they talk about enskinning a chief instead of enthroning a chief. They say they enskin a chief. And it means they've they've set up the skins for him to sit on. But those skins, if you dig a little deeper, you realize those skins are the animals that he sacrificed to the deceased kings so that he can have their power and rule the people. So it's, it's this, their whole, the whole fabric of their like community structure, um, revolves around this ancestor worship. And then on top of that, we have Islam and Islam, uh, isn't, uh, it, it, it doesn't mind the syncretism as much as we Christians mind it. And so we have what, here what we call folk Islam. It's not, it's not the same kind of Islam you're going to find in North Africa or in the Middle East. It's kind of a watered down version that mixes in 
some of the animism. Um, most of the Muslims I know in my area, they also do African traditional religion on the side. They still make sacrifices to ancestors, um, but they still call themselves a Muslim because they'll pray five times a day, fast in Ramadan. Um, so, so that's kind of the background on the people we're working with. And so when you bring the gospel to someone, um, the biggest challenge is uh, they're, they're, they have to abandon everything that their community revolves around. Mm -hmm. And it's a really big obstacle, especially for men. Most of our churches where we work in the villages are like 90% women in the church mm -hmm. and very few men. And the men, if they give up African traditional religion or Islam, they lose their social status. They lose their ability um, to, to have positions in the, in the village, in the kind of local government. Um, so it's a big challenge for men. But the women, there's not really that much <laughs> that appeals to them as, as far as the Islam goes and as far as the traditional stuff. And so um, they don't have that as much of that, I guess you could say, like baggage and stuff that holds them back. And so it's right. much harder to have uh, men come to Christ uh, than women in our area. Wow. So um, where, where you do have situations, um, the few men, the smaller percentage of men, I mean, how has that gone? I mean, are there, have there been any particular situations that, you know, a man does come to know, to know Christ? What, what has happened since then? How has the church had to rally around that? Or how have you been able to walk through the few that are there? Um, so we, thankfully we don't have, um, outright like violent persecution in the way that people have in other parts mm -hmm. of the world. Um, and I'm, I'm, we're grateful for that, but it's more of a, it, it's, it's like a shunning, um, kind of ignoring okay. somebody. An example would be, we have an elder in one of our village churches and, uh, he came to me one day and just said, asked for prayer. He's like, could you just have people pray for me? Because the elders in the community won't let me be a part of community decisions because he was the only elderly man yeah. that was a Christian. And so they just kind of shun him and don't listen to him when he has input in local decisions and things like that. Um, and, you know, that kind of stuff definitely wears on somebody when they don't have the, the respect that their peers get. Um, so that's one example. Sure. You'll have, I've heard stories, I don't know anyone personally that this has happened to, but I've heard from our pastors about men who become, who are Muslims, become Christians, and then their in-laws come and take their wife away, take the wife and sometimes the kids, um, and take her back oh, because wow. the in-laws say, okay. our daughter can't be married to a Christian. She's a Muslim and they take her back. Um, and so that kind of thing wow. can happen as well. Okay. Heidi, in your context, what would you say maybe are some of the biggest, uh, biggest barriers to the work, maybe both practically. And then also, I mean, you shared some about how you are able to share the gospel and sometimes some of the hurdles you go through. Are there any other things that are, are real challenges uh, in your setting? I think those are the main, what I said before was the main things where, you know, they're, they're holding on to what they know, especially in times of, of trouble in times of, you know, difficulties. Um, and and sometimes I, I find, especially if I have to give bad news to someone, like to say that they have a cancer that is inoperable or that is well advanced, to, to share that news and then to turn around and, and share the gospel, 
sometimes it's just way too much for anyone to to hear in one setting. So right. there's times that I I will try to share the the bad news with them and give them a day to process that and then come back again and talk with them with the chaplain and and share the gospel and share, you know, the the hope that we have in Jesus. And sometimes they're more receptive yeah. at that time to hear that. Um, but I, you know, even, um, I had a, a, a very, a baby was one of my patients. Um, and he, he nearly died and because he had some, a problem with his blood and he just started bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And it wasn't until we were able to give him a blood transfusion and that saved his life. And we shared with his mother that, you know, unless his body received that blood, he wasn't going to live. And unless you receive the blood of Jesus that he gives for forgiveness of sins. Yeah. You know, you can't can't receive that that salvation. And you know, she said, "Oh, I would I would like to believe, but I have my husband has many wives, and if I accept that, if I accept Christ, then he won't love me anymore. He won't pay attention to me anymore. So I I can't risk that now." Um and that was that was her answer. She seemed like she was she would like to accept it, yeah. but because of her family situation, she didn't want to be shunned by the husband. Um, wow, that's so, incredible. And there's another, there was a young girl um, with a cancer of her foot. I had to do an amputation, and as I was taking care of her, I shared the word, shared the gospel, and she said she wanted to follow Jesus. And um, so you know, I gave her some some information and even something to to listen to about the you know basically listen to the the Bible in her language. She ended up getting a prosthetic leg, and said that while she was in training for two months getting the new leg, she would go to church and and was was happy with that. But when she returned back to her father's house, who was a Muslim, she no longer could could say anything about her being a Christian. Or, um, you know, because that would be too much for her father to handle. But I think inside, she she truly had, had believed in Jesus. Have there been any, uh, you know, maybe particular, I don't, I hesitate to use the word success, but, you know, something that was just a real praise or a particular thing that happens, uh, ha- has happened in the time that you've been there, uh, that you've seen. Uh, that's different, you know. Maybe when, maybe when you have shared the gospel in one of those settings, that it's that it has they've accepted and they've connected with a church. Do you see that a fair amount, or is there a particular one you could share? There was one man that I I had to do an emergency operation um, last December, and at that time, I part of his his intestines had died, and I had to remove them and then put it put the bowels back together. And during that hospitalization, I remember talking to him about Jesus, and he he would kind of listen, nod his head, and then try to change the subject. Um, and so I said, okay, he's he doesn't want to talk about it. And then um, two months later, he came back to the hospital again with a, a bowel obstruction. So his intestines were blocked again, and he was in severe pain. I was able to manage without doing another operation, but while he was there, I talked to him again, and that time he said, okay, I'm ready, and I shared with him the 
the story of um, of Jesus healing the the crippled man. The, the four four friends had lowered him down through the roof in front of Jesus, and I shared that story with him and shared the gospel. And he said, "Okay, I'm ready." And his wife was with him too, and said, "Yes, we're ready." <laughs> and so um, after he was discharged from the hospital. Um, I was able to keep in touch with him, and he, he lives in a town that's not too far away from us. And so I said, okay, if you're ready to go to church, then we'll meet you at the church this Sunday. And when we went there, um, we we saw him and his wife, and when it came time to for all the visitors, because every, every Sunday, whoever's a visitor stands up, explains who they are, introduces themselves. And so William stood up and introduced um, our family. And then he said, I also want to introduce your new brother and your new sister. And so right then, you know, he, our, my patient stood up and he said his name and said, you know, what had happened and invited the church to accept them as their brother and sister in Christ. And they, they all knew him ah. already and they welcomed him. Um, so it was, I think that's the, you know, the greatest success that we've seen in someone that lives, you know, fairly close by. Yeah. And saw him just get accepted into the church that way. That's incredible. We get patients from all over our our region. And so okay. sometimes there are people who accept Christ, but then they, you know, once they get better and discharged, they go back to some remote place that we don't even know where it is. Sometimes they tell us where they're from. Yeah. And like, I don't even know where that is. Um, and so yeah. that's, you know, we... That's been one of our biggest challenges on the church's side is is the follow-up issue. Because mm-hmm. um, we can tell them, okay, find the church in your village. It may not be a Baptist church. It might be a, a Pentecostal church. It might be a Lutheran church. Um, but we say, find the church in, in your village and go. But we don't have that ability um, because we are in a pretty remote area um, to, to follow up all the yeah. time. But, but it is nice okay. um, when we can follow up like that. Um, so for those who are listening out there, how can people be praying uh, for you all as they pray for missionaries all over the world? How can they be praying for this ministry uh, that both of you are doing? Yeah, um, you know, there's so many different things to 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 pray for. Um, you know, one is just the general health of our missionaries. Um, back in 2015, um, our, during our first year out, um, I got hit with a typhoid fever like horrible and i was out for a month um i I couldn't walk i lost 17 pounds in like what was it 10 days or something Mm -hmm. it was just horrible but we had our our folks back home we heidi i I couldn't do anything i was laying in bed heidi was pregnant at the time with our daughter and she contacted all of our churches were connected to in the States and just had all of them praying for us. And it was just, it was mm-hmm. crazy. It, um, after, you know, it took a while, but I got, I was healed and then it took me several months to get my energy back and my weight back. But, um, you know, when you live in these remote places and, and just different places, um, there's, there's all kinds of sickness that our missionaries have to face and their children too. Mm-hmm. Um, the children too. And God has just been really good to us. I had that one incident um, our kids have had malaria, I think, once. But for the most part, considering that Heidi's exposed to infectious diseases every day and then come ho- comes home to right. the family, um, God has just really protected us. So always praying for, for health 
um, and and even energy uh, for for our missionaries around the world because uh, it's easy to get um, overworked, especially mm-hmm. if you're one of the only mm-hmm. people. <laughs> Heidi's nodding her head. Uh, I mean, today, well, how long were you at the hospital <laughs> yeah, today? She was at the hospital eleven hours today. Um, mm. And so, yeah, there, you know, there's you, the need. You see, you look out and you see the need. And you just want to work, 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 but it, it's hard sometimes to say, okay, I have to, I have to rest, I have to take my Sabbath. So pray for, for health and and uh, energy uh, for missionaries. Um, and then along with that, I think comes you know praying for encouragement. Um, it's it's always really encouraging. We have several churches in the U.S. I don't know if I'm allowed to give a shout out, but like Pinecrest Baptist Church in Cordial, Georgia, and uh, oh, absolutely, uh, Seminole yes. First Baptist uh, Seminole, Florida, Exchange Church, and in Wake Forest, uh, um, but uh, yeah. Tabernacle Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia. But we have these, you know, great people that just keep up with us, and it's always encouraging when they drop us a note. Sometimes people just text us, um, but you know, it, you, it, you know, we've been here going on five years now, and I've Heidi's been back once or twice, but we've been away from the states for a while, and it, it's really nice to know that people are praying for us. Um, we just got a package in the mail. Or with cards from like a Sunday school class uh, mm-hmm. just yesterday in Fairfield Glade in Tennessee, and they just had their oh like, yeah, GAs I know that, I know that. Area. Write little notes and send it to us, and yeah, and uh, and so that's that's always an encouragement, just hearing an encouraging word from folks back in the states. So, so on that uh, question, just as folks are thinking about this, um, and they think of how their church can support, you know. Are some of these churches that maybe send these things to you, things to you, you don't, do you know someone in all of those churches or are, uh, do you sometimes get things from churches who are just wanting to connect with a missionary and it's an opportunity for them to support you? Most of the time we know somebody or somebody knows somebody that mm-hmm. knows us. Um, but then other times right. there've been some, uh, materials like WMU wants to publish something about, um, some of Heidi's work and one Lottie Moon year, they um, had some stuff about us. And so some churches just randomly hear about us through um, IMB or SBC materials and then reach out to us that way. Right. Um, that's that's usually uh, between that and then personal connections. Um, but nothing beats a personal connection with a with a church. Right. Right. Uh, but that's the that sounds like some great ways to support uh, what you all are doing. Now, uh, when you are home on state side, uh, how, you know, how can churches sort of be prepared to receive, uh, you all receive our missionaries and, 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 uh, and, and help in those, in those situations? Yeah. Um, every, uh, state, uh, Baptist association, um, gets, uh, they get a list from the IMB of every missionary that's going to be in their, in their state on state side and get contact mm-hmm. info so they can reach out. So um, anyone can call the IMB and say, hey, you know, my church is in Kentucky and we're looking for a missionary to come speak to us and they'll get information. So when we go, we'll be going stateside in June of next year or July of next year and we'll be based out of Florida. Mm-hmm. And so um, while we're there, churches will be contacting us and, and asking to set up uh, speaking engagements um, where we can go and kind of talk about our work. Um, and I, I often talk about when I speak in churches about other people's work, because as a media person for the IMB, I'm traveling around and documenting the work that other missionaries are doing. 
And uh, I love that's my favorite part of my job is that I get to not only travel yeah. and see the world, but I get to show up and immediately get an insider look because I show up to work with one of our personnel who's been there for many years, speaks the language, knows the area, has contacts. And uh, it's not just like I'm a tourist showing up to take pictures. I get to get a, a deeper insight into things so that I can share those stories back through IMB Media. Um, and so I love to share, you know, the stories that are all over Africa, not just what we're doing. Yeah. Also, most of Heidi's stories are, just, are gross. They have. <laughs> she did a good job <laughs> when she was telling you about uh, the guy that his intestine died, and I had to take it out. Like, that's the yeah. short, simple version. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you you get to you get to tell all the you get to do kind of the really great looking work, and you know, visually very appealing. So you get to tell the stories in that way. Um, well, and of course, from where I work uh, at Southeastern in the communications area, I, I really understand how valuable it is to have people who can tell what's going on in all of these different ways, uh, because it matters for us to know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and I often, I tell sometimes when I speak in churches, I kind of describe my job as kind of like, not to not to elevate myself to to sainthood levels, but <laughs> um, it's like Luke. Yeah. The you know Luke gave us the book of Luke, and yeah. then he gave us the book of Acts. And where would our church be today without, especially the book of Acts? Like he just documented yeah. what was going on, and somebody needs to do that. Yeah, we have to have people there to tell the story. Well, um, thank you all so much for being willing uh, to talk to us. This is great. This is the first time we've been able to have anyone on who is serving on the field. And so I think it's just going to be a huge benefit to our listeners. Um, and we, uh, we, we hope, um, we just, we pray for you guys. Uh, we pray for your ministry there and, uh, we really appreciate you coming to talk to us. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for calling and braving our, our West African internet. Absolutely. Absolutely.